Welcome, everybody, to another episode of One Man in Possession of a Podcast. I'm Chad. I'm the host. This is the podcast where I go through every single Jane Austen adaptation and talk about it. This is the first episode of season two. We read the novel Pride and Prejudice. Last season was Sense and Sensibility. Read the novel. Watched 10 adaptations. Nine adaptations. 10 episodes. 11 because we had a, a secret episode that uh, <laughs> that Paul was on <laughs> and Sean. And uh, only a select few have access to that one. The guests today are all returning guests. So we might skip some of the questions and the things that we talked about on our first go around. Uh, we're going to go around in a circle. So I'm Chad. This is Chad's voice. So everyone knows. We're going to go Anthony, Paul, Carrie, Jessica, in that order. Go around and, ex and introduce yourself, Anthony. I'm Anthony Garrett. I'm a novelist and the editor of the online literary magazine, Atmospheric Orderly. Nice. And we know you from episode one of season one, the Sense and Sensibility novel. Paul, That's have we correct. heard your voice before? Um, only in a top secret episode. So <laughs> probably not. Uh, but I am Paul and Fatal Confession, Normal Confession, not sure. This is the only Jane Austen novel that I have ever read. And this was my first time going down that rabbit hole. Nice. So, yeah. What do you do? Do you want to say? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and this is why it's uh, probably the fatal confession. I'm a children's literature professor. So you would think that I would owe it to myself and others to have read these, but it's not really children's literature. So also there are 10 million books to have read. No, yeah, for sure. I, I um, I feel I feel like it's like being a film professor and not watching Star Wars. It's okay to do. It's just a weird thing to do. So I'm sorry, and here I am. Pride and Prejudice is a great place to start. Happy for you. Yeah, it is. It was really good. All right, Carrie, you're up. Okay, my name is Carrie Wiggins. Uh, I'm an art teacher slash artist. I teach kindergarten through eleventh grade at a little private school. Um. I think I've read all of the Jane Austen novels, although it's been a minute, except for like the little ones, like what is it, Lady Susan? Yeah. Um, the end of ten. There's a end couple. Of ten. It's unfinished. Yeah, there, there's a couple like that that I haven't yeah. read. All of the major ones I've read at least once, but uh, some of them I've read multiple times. Um, and is that it? Am I supposed to say anything else? No, I was, yeah, that's good. What what episode do we know you from? Um, the Angley episode. Whoa, whoa, the most listened to episode of the podcast. It's me. It's because <laughs> it's of top. me. <laughs> We've got three hundred listens, and that episode has like sixty five. So it's like an uneven distribution. About twenty percent. Nice. Harry and Angley both are fantastic, so that makes sense. And who's and we got Jessica. And I am Jessica Mihalik. I am a data librarian. Um, I have read 
Pride and Prejudice probably more than any other book in my life. <laughs> and I have also, I think, read all the major Jane Austen novels several times, probably. So I have not read this in a long time, though. So this was an interesting reread. I know all the people on the podcast. We all met at the same time at the freshman year dormitory. And um, we talk monthly on a movie club podcast. So oh, people should definitely tune in. <laughs> oh, I'm not sending that link to anybody, but that's just a fact <laughs> that we do. <laughs> it's, it's, we could record it or not record it, and it would be the same content. <laughs> um, great. So to start out with, we're gonna share our thoughts about it. And I want to go through the plot, or I guess the plot points, the different segments of the book, or the different scenes. And then everyone's going to go and say what they like or what they think about each one of those segments. And we're just going to go through each one of those all from the beginning all the way to the end, rather than jumping around about what, what everyone's favorite parts are, or, or characters and things like that. Does that sound like a plan? Uh, starting out with, I guess, general thoughts. How'd you like it compared to Sense and Sensibility, Anthony? I already enjoyed Sense and Sensibility quite a uh -huh. bit, um, but it is obvious Jane Austen's evolution and progression as a writer is obvious in this book compared to that book. It, it's interesting that this is, for the most part, her follow-up um, because... Uh, it does become the most well-read of all of her novels. Uh, and so anyways, I loved it. I, th I thought it was so fun, like so clever. I, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, the literary merits of it. But, uh, it's just such a treat to hear people tr or read people trade barbs. And, um, but then also as smart as they think they are, um, have to backtrack on themselves all the time and and sort of the the difference between the things that they're saying aloud and the thoughts that they're having um it's just it's just a treat <laughs> it was fun i i read it and it took me a couple of months to read and then i listened to it so i did both and it's like only it's like 10 hours so it's not a lot and i drive a lot and i listen to Oh, and I go walking, so I walk so and listen to it. So no excuse, Carrie. <laughs> That's the takeaway. <laughs> Any oh, uh go around the circle and it's gonna be Paul and Carrie and Jessica. Just general thoughts and we're gonna jump into it. Well, I would say of all the Jane Austen novels that I've read, <laughs> go this on are my favorite. And um no, I so I'm a sucker for character driven anything. Um, like I think we've talked about it in your uh, other podcast about how I really love Richard Linklater movies where they go for forever and the story happens or doesn't, but you fall in love with these people and you fall in love with the people, or at least I do, you fall in love with the people that ostensibly you're not really supposed to the bad guys, the side characters, the this and that's the other. And that's kind of what I felt um, like happened here too, because 
Yeah, like the like the barbs are you saying, like that they're just they're fencing with words for hundreds of pages, right? But they're fencing and and it's got a rubber tip at the, the end. Nobody's ever gonna get hurt. Like it's just gonna be, and I was just like, oh, this is I, I was thinking about other conversations that you've had, chat about how you love cozy films. And I was uh -huh. like, I bet this is a little bit wheelhouse that way. Oh, for that, sure. That you don't have to flip to the last chapter. And yet I found myself very engaged and i and i was also trying to read for mirrors and windows like with the the less comely characters or whatever you know because it's easy to have these two alpha protagonists and be like yeah yeah i'm, I'm one or both of those but yeah. instead i and not a hot take but i i'm wondering if being a 40 year old person helps you to appreciate mrs bennett even though she seems a certain way or, sure. or, or who just wants good things for her kids, who, whose life revolves around, you know, preparing a world that she's not even going to be around for. And I was like, man, that's, that's really compelling that somebody at a young age saw that perceived that wrote about that made it character driven, had romance, but like had all of these really fleshed out characters. So I, um, I don't know how much I'll be able to add as far as literary um, unpacking and deconstructions, but I, as a first entry into this world, I, I was very um, interested in it. Yeah. I, Paul, just to follow up on a couple of the things that you said, uh, one relating to the other characters, right? Like if, I, as a younger person, would not, and even now, it's not a flattering thing to relate to Mr. Collins, for example. But but then you realize the ways in which maybe we all, but certainly myself, like want to ingratiate ourselves yeah. so badly in situations and like just are maybe a little too verbose in our compliments, like all the <laughs> time. And, um, like, yeah, it's like painful to have that self-recognition uh, um, so wait a second and, paul sees a little bit of mrs bennett in himself you see a little bit of mr collins in yourself this is fun i i, I see just, a little bit of charlotte lucas so she's my favorite well no but i just i was just like thinking like like somebody who files their taxes and thinks about a 401k and is like juggling and you're just like i'm kind of thinking about things that are not very sexy and they're not very cool to talk about at coffee shops when you're 23, but low these, however many decades later, you're like, Oh man, I've sold out. I'm, I'm such a, <laughs> a lame -o, you know? So yeah. And if we didn't have those characters, Darcy and Lizzie, they can already be uh, irritating sometimes, <laughs> but, but if we didn't have these other foils, we would find them even more irritating, right? Because by comparison, right? At least, at least Darcy isn't Mister Wickham. At least, at least Lizzie isn't her sisters. Um, and so we we like those characters more, be also because of the uh, less perfect characters. Yeah. Although I've got a soft spot for Mary too now. Yeah. Mary, she's just she's a tryhard, and she's kind of plain. That last chapter with Mary, she's like, oh, poor. She's she did better after her cute sisters left, and she was she oh. didn't have to like compare herself to them. Oh uh, yeah, poor Mary. 
<laughs> Carrie, what's up? How'd you like it? Any thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking about who I relate to sure. the most. And as far as like, um, you know, when you don't like being around certain family members because the weaknesses they have, you see in yourself the most. And so when you're around them, it reminds you of that. Yep. Um, so I had a certain family member visit for the past several days that it was just like, <laughs> it was great, but there was a part of me that had a really difficult time with it. Cause like every time they open their mouth, I hear those same words come out of my mouth and <laughs> same attitudes and everything. But like saying that I did see a lot of myself in Miss Bennett with having chronic pain <laughs> off and on for the past several years and struggling with anxiety and depression and like ADHD and stuff. And I probably talk about it more than I should at home. And I probably use it a lot more than I should to get out of doing things or to uh, dismiss my own shortcomings um, and messes around the house. So yeah, when she talks about her the flutterings in her heart and the spasms in her side it's like oh dear oh no <laughs> <laughs> but also how like with Mary too I, I was only able to get through like the first seven chapters so that's how bad I am at reading these days um, but like how Mary tries so hard to contribute meaningfully to conversations like the word sounds very profound you know I'm sure to her but on you know going below the surface it's like she's not really adding anything of substance <laughs> really and it's and it's painful and yeah how it it talks about how she tries so hard and like music and reading so she can have like a positive contribution but really it's made her more difficult to be around not more pleasurable to be around but yeah well, well i would never describe you just to allow me to be my mr collins for a second i would never <laughs> describe you as difficult to be around he wrote that well, compliment you, you get me for an hour that, by the way <laughs> what'd you say Jessica? He, wrote, he wrote that down before the podcast i could see him reading off his paper just now <laughs> i mean that's a sting too because like delicate little compliments sometimes I think about them before and sometimes it's like off the cuff or whatever like that it's like have I ever thought about like something nice probably uh, yeah I mean pre pre go through conversations in my head and think think of a compliment that I want to give somebody that doesn't yeah. seem like the worst thing to do no Car it doesn't but also like it's a it's a it's a desperate type of single yeah. guy to to do and yeah I'm thinking about to my single days trying to impress the ladies and it's very Mr. Collins. <laughs> Jessica. Well, I mean, oh, maybe sorry. there's something going, to it that there's something to it that we all see that in ourselves. Maybe Jane Austen tapped into something universal in her um, development of Mr. Collins, especially I think it's very universal to feel yourself be less popular or less liked than most people um, or not most people, but you know, a lot of people that you might work with or go to church or. You might play the piano social... way better than your sister, but she gets all the, all the praise. Afterward. Accolades. 
Yeah. Or even like just family reunions. You know, I know Sean has a couple sisters that I feel very less cool <laughs> around. So I do feel very Mr. Collinsy when I'm around them. No, I try, you guys are cool not in to. different ways. You're just as cool as Jana, just in a different way. I, I just want to know which social media platforms we need to share. This as widely as possible so that all of these relatives can uh, potentially listen. <laughs> all right, Jessica, what do you think about the book? I have a lot of thoughts and I wish I had been writing them down while I was rereading it this time. But since we were just talking about Mr. Collins, for me, he's like a top five literary character. Not like, I think at times we are all Mr. Collins or we know a Mr. Collins, like, he is everywhere. He is universal. And I just, I find myself thinking about him at the oddest times. <laughs> so it's just, Mr. Collins is like a part of my being, unfortunately. I love, I think I like Pride and Prejudice. I think it gets a bad rap. I hear people who have never read it talk about it as like a fluffy, dreamy romance and like everything ends well. But to me, just the story of like being devastatingly wrong about someone and realizing that and doing what you need to do to make it right that's I think that's a an important story for people to read and yeah. to think about um but yeah uh other thoughts I have never really identified with Mary but I had a Mary moment at work this week where I was in this meeting and I had no idea why I was there I still don't understand what the team was talking about. It's like this team that's coming to our team looking for help with something. I don't think they knew what they were talking about. And my colleague that was in the meeting with me was like making some sort of substantive comments as substantive as they could be when nobody knew what was going on. And the meeting was ending and in the back of my brain, I was like, I need to say something to justify <laughs> my presence here, even though I have no idea what's going on. And, you know, I was in the middle of reading, rereading this. So while I was making this comment, I was like, you're Mary, you're Mary, stop what you're doing right now. Just stop talking. <laughs> um, it was terrible, but, you know, I did it anyways. But I am grateful for that bit of insight into her character. Maybe she's just, you know, she's probably, what, 17 or 18, maybe. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really understand the world. She's just trying to make her way through it and find a way to relate to people when it's clear that she doesn't know how to relate to people. So yeah, Lydia is the youngest at 15 yeah. and then 16 later in the book. Yeah. And then Kitty's older than her. So they're the two youngest. Mary's in the middle. Then Lizzie's 20 or 21. She's not 21. So yeah, I think she's she, 20. she turns 20 yeah. in sometime in the series of the, of the yeah. book 21. And then, uh, Miss Bennett, she's oh Jane is so boring, guys. Jane is so boring. Dude, Jane is nice, man. She's just a dude. Sister, we should like, all be more like Jane. Yeah, she sets the standard of excellence and quietly goes about the business of being awesome. Oh, and thinks well of everyone. There's yeah, that's why she's made for like the person. Anyways, I want someone to to. She's the counter. With. I want someone to like speak like speak ill of at least some people and not think well of everyone uh i've got a little she's girl. like the sincere she's an sincere count i mean right she's a foil to her sister but she's also the 
the sincere counter to Mr. Collins, right? Like, yeah. Where whereas Mr. Collins is trying so hard to say something nice uh, for egotistical reasons, she says nice things because of an absence of ego. Yeah, she actually thinks nice of everyone, not just speaks nice of everyone. You, you turn me. I like Jane now, but she's not the best person to gossip with, I guess. No, she's not. She's not the party person, but she. <laughs> but like, you feel very comfortable being you around her because you can't. Like, she won't hate you for who you actually are. But I have a a question that I think you guys will be able to help me out with. The ages are these numbers on a page, and the pages are from a book from a long time ago. So somebody's 15 who turns 16, somebody's 20 who might be 22. Uh, we can get to Jessica's question. But like how I had difficulty seeing a 15-year-old who was a 16-year-old and being like, okay, who was I at 15 and 16? And like, and figuring out what was what was normal for the time how one acts, how one, because 16 in the 20th, late 20th century, early 21st is like, you have a gab watch because your parents are all worried that you're going to do something stupid. And like, they can <laughs> cyber locate where you are, you know, and, and, and I'm just wondering how that went for you seeing numbers representing ages, having been these numbers, but it would seem like my maturity at those ages didn't map on very well to their maturity, although in some ways it it was similar. I don't know if, if that question makes sense, but I, I know what I'm trying to ask. In Sense and Sensibility, there were no teenage or young men age boys. In Pride and Prejudice, there was one, and it was Charlotte Lucas's little brother who was a teen, and all he wanted to do was ride horses and drink and drink at the pub. And that was yeah. the last paragraph of like one chapter. And I'm but like, I relate, I relate to that boy. Like that's my favorite character of the book. Only teenage boy in Jane Austen is doesn't care about girls because girls are off limits. <clears throat> All these girls, his age are being courted by older People, officers. Older. Yeah. And so you've got like this 10 year span from 15 to 25 where no girls are going to look at you. And so what you're going to do is go ride horses and, and drink at the pub. And then at 25, you can enlist and be an officer or be a whatever. And then you can so start dating like, t girls 10 years younger than you. It's problematic. So that, was, so that was actually one of my questions though, which is lo these many years later, is that very similar to, or is it different from how it is now, which is, where women are expected to be more mat mature at a younger age, men are allowed to be infantilized for longer or has that shifted? And I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I think kids are hanging out with the same age groups and it's very <clears throat> age group specific. Like, I think that's how it was when we were teens too. Like I'm a sophomore, I'm going to hang out with sophomores. I think generally that's true of, of teenagers. But I mean, how many girls but in our freshman year dated return missionaries and got married right away i can think of a handful and like well, whether the kids are hanging out with their age peers or not there's still an expectation that women mature more quickly right. i mean i thinking about family members that i know friends that i know variety of people and oldest daughters are so like responsible and like take care of things and like oldest sons often don't have the same expectations 
my partner and wife is three years younger than me. And that's not the same as the numbers that we're talking about here, but um, that especially in, in the more conservative parts of at least American culture, I think a lot of those, those things continue to be reiterated. All right. Anything else before we jump into the plot and then we'll talk about each of these scenes. You good? I think the only other thing I want to say is that the thing that's shifted for me most notably in the way that I used to think about this book and the way that I thought about it now rereading it nice. is the way that I look at um, Mr. Bennett. Yeah. I used to be like, wow, what a funny dad. He's so uh-huh. yeah. He really respects Elizabeth and her intellect. But now I'm just like, he's a very bad father. <laughs> <laughs> he basically ignores most of his children, even Jane, who is And husband. Very he's the worst good. husband. Yeah, no, he's terrible. He's always making fun of his wife. And like sometimes Not only it's making funny. fun of like there's a whole page or paragraph or paragraphs about how he married for the wrong reasons yeah. and how he soon fell out of love and he's just in that for like there's no there's no and relationship. And like he's clearly there. suffering, so you know, he's he's it's not like he's getting away scot free with his bad actions, but yeah, I just he's an interesting character. Yeah. Also relatable in some ways, but it more in a way that I want to avoid being like him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the book was him. the book really like laid it all out because there's so much of it. I think the movies adaptations that I've seen at least paint him more comically and it's he's like he's like the yeah, wit he's so affable he's right. the wit and wisdom and friendly and he's not like an asshole like he kind of is in the book and i want to see how the older adaptations deal with that like 1940 1967 1980 uh the all the bbc's and this will be a fun process going forward to see because i've seen a couple adaptations years ago and so I had Kira Knightley in my head, or I had the, the the BBC Colin Firth as a as a Mr. Darcy or whatever. But uh, it was like a mi- mismatch of like all the different characters that I've seen in the past, as far as who Charlotte Lucas was or who Mr. Darcy was. All the different characters. Who what what lines are they going to say? What scenes are they going to put them in? And the difference of the adaptations. That's going to be fun. And yeah. The reading the book of Mr. Bennett for sure was like, oh, he's a, I, I remember like him a lot more when he's like Donald Sutherland or something like that. Yeah, rather damning on this ride. <laughs> I think he's kind of I think he's kind of like the cool dad, you know, when you're a teenager or a younger, yeah. like he does seem very appealing. Um, but then as you get older and you look back and see him from hopefully more wise and mature eyes you can see his uh, shortcomings and failings as both a father and a husband um but another thing i wanted to add about his relationship with his wife is i like watching a lot of uh, youtube videos and stuff about relationships and certain patterns that couples can fall into and they remind me a lot of it's the pursuer slash avoidant I, those aren't the quite the accurate terms of it but like the attachment styles yeah attachment styles yeah um where you can see miss bennett is like desperately just trying to hold his attention doesn't care what kind of attention it is as long as it's attention but because of that it pushes mr bennett further away and he's a lot more resentful 
has a low regard for his wife, even if he, you know, like at the beginning of the book where he does call on uh, Mr. Bingley after mm -hmm. saying that he never would. Yeah. And then he like tries to keep it a secret from her as long as possible too, until it like slips out. And then his wife and his daughters try to apply him for more information about it. And he's not um, forthcoming with it. And, you know, younger me would think that was like, so cheeky and fun but like now it's just like get over yourself yeah. <laughs> like just give them the information they want like be kind. <laughs> well, i'm really trying to drill into my son especially choose kindness like i want yeah that to yeah well i like i like how he really like he he attaches to mr collins because he thinks he's such a joke and he's like mm -hmm. this guy's gonna be fun because i can just make fun of him in my mind when look and wink at lizzie because she's gonna be in on the joke too and then yeah. he gets tired of him. And so he has to go to his study. And then Mr. Collins follows him to his study and just, and then at the very end of the book, Mr. Bennett's like, he makes a joke saying, he keeps on saying that Mr. Wickham's his favorite son-in-law. I mean, that was, that was a good one. I'll give him points for that joke. Cause it was, it's so not true. <laughs> well, there's a, a part. I, I don't know if it's in the book or just in the, movie where mr bennett had done something near the end where it had embarrassed elizabeth and it kind of helped make the rose-colored glasses fall from her eyes a little bit to see him not be like the end-all be-all well that was when then... he was telling mary to that was enough playing oh for that's her, for right yeah I, yeah he tells her off and embarrasses <clears throat> and then and then darcy puts yeah. that in her she remembers that instance from darcy's letter and then she remembers it the other way. She's like, oh, yeah, my family is a bunch of jerks. <laughs> and... I think also another conversation that does that for Elizabeth is um, when Lydia is about to go to Brighton, she's gotten the invitation and he's like basically making his case to Elizabeth for why he thinks she should go. Like she basically she needs to go. She's never going to be satisfied until she does something crazy like this. Yeah. And Elizabeth's like you don't understand how this has already hurt our family and will continue to hurt our family and like kind of pressing on, on her part but um I think she realizes in this moment in that moment that he's he's just kind of he's more concerned with his own comfort and a lot of the time than with like the respectability or even the safety and well-being of his family this is yep. this is great guys We're, we have so much to talk about <laughs> Oh, but it's okay if it, if it gets like we don't have to follow no, us. I know. parents to go home yeah. <laughs> okay that is so true i'm not in a hurry i'm just gonna oh, settle, but, i'm gonna settle but it's down okay into it. to be a little bit of a hurry because i at a certain o'clock probably need to bounce out as well so yeah sounds yeah, good let's know. let's start this thing this is the book where the title of the podcast comes from anthony came up with it so congratulations anthony is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a podcast. Mr. Oh, there's news around town that Bingley is rented Netherfield part and Mr. Darcy goes. It's it's involved, like Jessica was saying, that Mrs. Bennett hears about it and wants Mr. Bingley or Mr. Bennett to go introduce himself. They do. Surprise. And then there's a ball. At, I think it's just a community ball. It's not the Netherfield ball yet. It's a community ball. Uh, you, the end notes in my edition says that you can pay. They likely pay a subscription 
um, to be able to attend balls like this, like that you, it's kind of like having a membership that you can attend. Um, did you, did you read something with the footnotes and mm -hmm. like an annotated? Oh man. The, the Everybody edition. hold up your book. I just want to show you my illustration. For, Look at these 1946 guys. Oh, that's amazing. Ready that to get so it. dandy. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, it is a famously like visual medium podcasting, Chad. So you should definitely be <laughs> upset that you don't have your copy. It's colored. Yeah. Oh man! Every three hundredth awesome. page. So they go to a ball. Uh, Mr. Bingley loves instantly falls in love with Jane because she's so hot. Double dances her two times. Double danced her. Yeah, that's when I, Mrs. Bennett. This is where everybody meets everybody. Like yeah. everybody's there. Like like the we first have everything to say about this. We have, yeah, <laughs> this is where we decide who we hate early on. It's where the pride and the prejudice are established. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bingley um asked Mr. Darcy, why isn't he dancing with anyone? And Mr. Darcy's like, You're only you're dancing with the hottest girl in the room. And he's like, What about her other sister? She's pretty hot. And Mr. Darcy says, uh, not hot enough to tempt me. And guess who overhears it? Lizzie does drama. I thought it was Mrs. Bennett who does. No, it's Lizzie. no Lizzie was sitting right there. Oh, Lizzie knows. She knows her. early. Yeah, because then like Lizzie's telling that story to everyone, and it's <laughs> so fun. I like how Lizzie's friends with Charlotte Lucas. She's twenty-seven. She's the neighbors. Those Lucases are great. Sir Lucas is just so friendly. He recently got knighted. He was rich. Anyways, they dance a bunch. Uh, Elizabeth decides she doesn't like Darcy. It's going to be a long summary, man. No, we're going to go through it. Anything else to okay. say about the dance? I mean, any thoughts to this point? Any? Does anybody have any notes up until here? I, I was just really impressed that Lizzie turned it into a joke. You know, if like the richest, hottest guy at the dance like if i overheard them saying like something like that about me i would have completely fallen apart and i never would have like truly gone over it but yeah. she just like sees the humor in it and sees like how much of a butthead he is and so she doesn't take it personally um but just uses that to inform her opinion of him rather than her taking it to heart so I found that very impressive of Lizzie not to take it so personally. Yeah, I I I was looking at her confidence as like window confidence because if if somebody, you know, since forever and continuing until always, like somebody could just blow me over with a feather, like with the like the slightest jab, and I'd be like, "Well, you know what? I just died inside, and uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait for the black hole to come." And Oh, you overhear somebody saying something about you, yeah. even if it's like not oh, mean. Yeah, yeah. If it's like just like the mildest criticism, the mildest dead forever, dead forever. Yeah, dead forever. <laughs> and what I mean by dead forever, it's not that they are dead, but a no, I am. I like I should. Yeah, exist, I can't so come like... out of it, and I'm just like, wow, because she wrote it. Like I can't, I can't write a poem about a girl 
who um, said no to a dance when I was in high school. Like, I can't go back there. My, my, my body gets too overheated. And I'm just like, we have to write about Gaza instead because we can't go back. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, holy freak. Like what, like how fragile am I? I've got, I've got some locked and loaded that I can not share with anybody ever. Yeah. <laughs> like what of people have said about me that I've casually overheard. This, this is a same place. <laughs> yeah. This is the same I'm not, place. No, there's no way. You can share with us. So like by the end of chapter one, I was like, oh yeah. So I'm just gonna read about like a hero now. Like she's <laughs> she's she's so much cooler than I can be in this life, but maybe in my next life when she's I come. She's pretty back. cool. I mean, Lizzie's pretty cool. She's all the way cool, man. Yeah. She walks three miles, four miles, five miles. Oh, that's the next part. So Jane is friends with the Bingley's sister. Wait, before you move on, I just yeah. want to say one last thing about this ball, which is that I love this scene because you get like the perfect tiny intro to all of the major players like yeah. everyone has a little tiny bit that just perfectly highlights their character and even though like even the father mr bennett's not even there but they come back and they're like telling him all about it and and he has an outburst you know like would he had sprayed his ankle in the in the first dance like i don't want to hear any more about it <laughs> and that tells you all you need to know about him like he does not give any f's so anyways it's great the ball for me i love it that's the ball the ball's great she, Jane gets invited over to Netherfield to hang out with the girls. And so um, it's going to rain. So she they don't order the carriage. They say to go ride a horse. And she goes and rides a horse over there. And it rains on the way there, right? And then so she's there. But that rain made her get, a, get sick. So she's got to stay there overnight. And then Elizabeth the next morning is worried about her. So then she walks three miles through the mud across the fields and shows up in there. They're all astonished to see her. And she's all flushed and her hair is a mess. But she's radiant. I definitely, even if like we're talking about like all of the other characters and like how we relate to them in this second, like I both want to be Elizabeth in this moment and like Mr. Darcy, like fall in love with her in this moment. <laughs> you want to be both? I went trampsing through the fields in Northern England. And so I felt like jumping over like sheep uh, walls. I'm like, when I was doing that, I'm like, I'm like Elizabeth Bennett walking through the fields. Um, Elizabeth shows up and Darcy sees that she's got pretty eyes. No, that's a different part, huh? So Elizabeth's just hanging out with Jane and then she's got to go hang out and socialize during the different parts. Yeah. I mean, Carolyn, Carolyn's so nice to Jane, but so mean. Her face. Well, why would they invite Jane over? I mean, Mr. Bingley, like, well, I, yeah. you know, Caroline doesn't need to feel threatened by right. Jane because Jane's interested in her brother, her brother. But Elizabeth is direct competition for Mr. Darcy. Oh, there you go. Well, asked and answered. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> I, I know like we can't like zoom in on every moment, but one of my favorite parts <laughs> in the book we want is, to. is in is in this section when Carolyn is like, oh, how nice it is to read on an afternoon when she's like not actually reading. <laughs> she's just like trying to draw attention to herself. Doesn't um, she like sit down and open a book and then say that? And then immediately yeah. puts the book down and like goes to Bobby right. Darcy. It's so, it's amazing. Again, it's, like perfectly. That's, I love that part both because I relate to it and, and because <laughs> I disdain it. And 
Uh, also, way more than sense and sensibility. It seems like sometimes the book lets you decide of like whether we're going to clump someone in the good guy or bad guy category based on their attitude about reading. Like, uh, um, how do you feel like, about libraries? How do you feel yeah. about? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So she's there for a couple of days. They uh, have a lot of interactions. Uh, they take a turn about the room so they they can admire them in, by the by firelight. And um, there's a lot of just Jessica's comment. There's so many like good conversations every time. It's a like Paul said, and the whole reason why I chose to do this project in the first place is this is just pure coziness. Like everything is just so cozy. But it's coziness in like a really bold for the time, bold for now, hopefully not bold forever way, which is women as the smartest people in the room, like women yeah. as you know what I mean? Like yep. it, it, it's super, it's super cool. Like, well, and it's, it's, it's also like displaying like all sorts of uh, class conventions and classism and like, yeah, it's cozy to be in these beautiful rooms. And these people that have these beautiful rooms are no more sterling than other characters the anything else about the visit be, before the whole family comes and picks them up and they go back to Longbourn? um i like how through this is that you see caroline you can see the wheels turning in her head about how to get darcy's attention like at first she's trying to place herself at odds with elizabeth and then by the end she's like elizabeth come walk with me yeah like oh we need to have some girl talk no oh it's gonna draw darcy's attention and it works. I love that. I, it's it works, but then it gives you this like what I feel like is the first like really real moment of the book where Elizabeth and Darcy really kind of get down and dirty intellectually. Yeah. Um, well, and how bad would that? I I actually did feel bad for Caroline in that moment because like how bad yeah. would it feel to be like to get the attention of the object of my affection? I'm going to have the actual object of my affections affection stand next to me so that he's forced to look in my general direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so hard. But then they're having this conversation, him and Elizabeth. It just feels like it goes over Caroline's head completely. And she's just, yeah. So she's like created this situation and clearly is just totally uncomfortable. There's a lot of discomfort in this book, which I really enjoy. I think that's another reason why I love it. So. That's such a funny thing. Perfect line. I That's love the discomfort. <laughs> so, so comfortable with the discomfort. The family comes, all the girls in a carriage to come and take Jane home after like three days or so. And then they, they finally get back home. It's Lydia and Kitty are just so such fun, like little teen girls that are just gossiping together and just being themselves. Oh, I know, get, but they're, they're doomed, man. <laughs> they're doomed. <laughs> The, uh, they get back and guess what? Uh, they get a letter saying that their long lost cousin, Mr. Collins, has come to mend the, the I don't know, the row between the two families. And so he shows up and we love Mr. Collins. There's nothing bad to say about him. I think we've already talked to him. Everyone kind of relates to him, but he just is over verbose on his... Uh, Graciations. He's talking about Lady Catherine de Berg so much, and anytime that he goes to like 
So who is it? It's Mrs. Bennett's sister that lives in Meryton and they go there to visit all the time. And she's kind of like low class and just like friendly and has the officers over all the time. And he's just like overly <laughs> talking about how nice it is that she invited him. And she's like looking at him perplexed. Like, who is this guy? Why are you friends with him? And then he's talking about, oh, this is like, this draw. This is like almost as this house is almost as big as Lady Catherine de Bourgh's drawing room or something like that. Like that was the compliment. That Mr. compliment Collins totally is... works when he explains how much that drawing room costs. Oh, for sure. Like, and that's that, what I love how much about the mantelpiece. Phillips is on board as soon as she's like, "Oh, you're comparing my room to this incredibly expensive room." Yes, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. But to Anthony's point about like figuring out how to think about these characters. No, you cannot have that <laughs> based on how they feel about reading that first night when Collins is there and they have dinner and they're trying to just, they're like trying to get him to read out loud. Yes. And they bring him a novel and he's like, oh no, I would never. Yeah. Novels. Settles on this book of sermons. I yeah. Just, four dice. Four dice of sermons. Yeah. Did anybody look that up four and read some four dice of sermons? That, that was my least favorite part of the whole book not not a complaint actually against Jane Austen but like when talking about like discomfort when Mr. Collins is giving this reading about how all of the women should be acting <laughs> like yeah. just becomes so obviously a feminist text in this moment to like pillory uh one that book but two like people who would say and and try to give a prescription for how women should act it's oh, i hate it I love it so much <laughs> oh mr wickham man he's not a good guy <laughs> he strikes out hard well, well you, which which adaptations have you seen uh only the kira knightley one okay but yeah. i felt like it's a good one yeah uh, now read it and having watched it before i was like uh they did a lot of cool things with that I mean, it's I short, like so I they skipped have a lot. I my own yes. episode about the, the 2005 Joe Wright one just because I want to crap on it for an hour. I think we should both. Be, I love it because it mainly because it was my first. Uh, there, there, I think there are some things to like about it, but I want us to both be on the episode, Jessica, and we, sh we should talk about it then. We're still talking about this. I should say just super then. briefly, I don't want to get stuck on this. I love it as a movie. I hate it as an adaptation of Pride as an adaptation. Yeah. That's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That's what every adaptation should be. But I was already primed to really like that thing because Sense and Sensibility with um, Emma Thompson was like one of the first movies that I sat down and watched with my parents. And I thought, oh, my parents and I are like enjoying the same movie at the same time. And I was like one of the first early teenage moments where I realized my parents weren't only old or weren't only workaholics or weren't only whatever. There was just like, Oh yeah, they, they too want happiness. They too want to be swept off their feet. They too. And I was, and I was like really for what's what felt like young, having a big kid thought. So I was excited for that movie when it came out. I think it was like maybe right after my mission or something was when I saw it. So yep. Sorry. Uh, Karen Knightley, 2005. Yeah, yeah let's talk so, about yeah. that. It's a tool. Uh, yeah, Mr. Wickham, they meet in town, like, uh, and then who shows up on horseback is Mr. Darcy, and they 
give each other side eyes and one goes white and one goes red. And uh, Lizzie notices all. And so they're like, they meet later at playing cards at the aunt's house. And um, George Wiccan spins a yarn about how he knows Darcy and adds a bunch of extra details that aren't true. And Lizzie has no reason not to believe him, so she believes him. And and it matches everything that she's seen with Mr. Darcy as far as what kind of a man he is, talking about how she's not tempting enough and he's kind of uh, mean to his friends or his friend's sister. <laughs> because Mr. Bingley is so prone to um, thinking the best of someone, like it allows Mr. Darcy to be a protector. To be easily taken advantage of. Right. And so they, it's what you want in a, in any sort of friendship or relationship to balance each other. Well, what do you think about Mr. Bingley, Carrie? I adore Mr. Bingley. Um, at, at the beginning of the book, they kind of went into an explanation as to why those two were friends with each other. And it's pretty much what Paul and Anthony said that, uh, Mr. Bingley found Darcy's um, opinions and judgment to be second to none. Do you remember what he says? Like Bingley, like he would have Bingley as his friend. I think just because Bingley would be his friend, <laughs> that would be <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's okay. Like me personally, like I find grumpy people to be endearing. Maybe he feels like he sees through Mr. Darcy's grumpy, prejudicial nature and like can see the good in him and maybe mr darcy appreciates that too even if he might not agree with mr bingley's opinion i like it but you know sometimes when i'm around really happy people it can make me grumpy like i sometimes i like being the happier more cheerful person so maybe that's the way i married sean because <laughs> he's like He's a grumpy person. And <laughs> I, I love that about him. Sean's, a, Sean's a grumpy person. <laughs> a little bit. This is this is revelatory right now. Yeah, this is <laughs> oh dear, he's gonna listen to this. <laughs> You're lovely, Sean. <laughs> well, no, I tell him he's grumpy to his face all the time. Like my dad is the best person I know, and he's a very grumpy, pessimistic person. Like those things can both be true. <laughs> can, can, can I, because I'm going to have to jump off probably before yeah, you I gotta finish. Go, I got to go about seven. You guys o'clock. are the worst. You're like, no, <laughs> don't rush it. Let's just like take our time. I, and then you're like, I, I got to leave early. You can, you I want to, <laughs> I want to share a little bit about my thoughts. Um, I mean, I have a lot of them, but related to the conversation that we're having in the, in the course of the plot, um, you, we had just mentioned, right, for example, uh, Lizzie seeing Darcy and Mr. Wickham eye each other. And um, and I love the, the quotes in that part of the book. She's like, what, what could it mean? What could it possibly mean? That passage illustrates a lot of what this book is doing. I might have said this on the Sense and Sensibility podcast. You know, in the history of the novel, we have... The Tale of Genji, we have Don Quixote, we have Tristram Shandy, we have books like Paris, Clarissa and Pamela that precede Jane Austen, who are kind of some of the novels that she's thinking about as she's creating a new thing. Uh, some of the novels that 
her characters would have read or that she definitely would have read. So all of those before Jane Austen could be the invention of the novel, and they are. In a lot of ways, though, especially in this book, it's the invention of the novel as we now understand it. Not only because of the type of plot that we have, but because the way that the narr- what's called free indirect speech, where the narrator and the character get confused. Just in the narration, we might get a question like, what could it possibly mean? If in a traditional sense, the author would know what it means and would just yeah, tell so us. Some or, omniscient or, narrator to let us know. Would either tell us or withhold it until yeah. a later point. But here, it's still kind of in the third person, but it's from the perspective of the characters. That's like totally new thing. That's how every book is written now for the most part. And since then, and here she is making that up. Like we're so familiar with it that we don't understand like what a great thing it is. Uh, And the other thing that I was going to say about that, Jessica already talked a little about the title Pride and Prejudice and all the prides and prejudices of these characters. But it's super interesting to me that over and over again, it's about the characters reading each other where they're trying to interpret the text of these other people. We're put, and Jane Austen is able to space that out perfectly where we usually are in the same position that the character is in, or occasionally we have more information than the character has. But we're put in the same position uh, where we are then doing the same thing that the point of view character is doing, where we're both basically reading the same book at the same time. It's just like knocks my socks off. Well, especially because a pop psychology like Malcolm Gladwell writes an entire book about how we misread people's faces, how the FBI jumps to conclusions and everybody's like, oh my gosh. And then Jane Austen's like, yeah, <laughs> like totally guys. Like, But like what a dissecting uh, human behavior and 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 putting it in a in a packaged form where you think you are following people who are falling in love, which is a component of it, or you think that you're following people who are falling out of love, which is a component of it. But really it's like, here's the human condition and I will give this to you and it will map onto literally all spaces for the rest of forever (laughs) because like I'm so dialed into how people are. And then that's what I kept wondering too. Um, I, I should have read more and I should have read about could maybe only somebody who was like Mary in her youngest years is, is maybe, maybe a a Mary is the only kind of person who can write this kind of book who is is so wanting to be part of, and like so hyper-vigilant in all of these moments and like doing it wrong, learning, doing it wrong, learning, doing it wrong, learning. And then by 21, you know, only five years forward, she's like, yeah, I, I get it. Like I've, I've messed this up so many times and now I can be the Lizzie character. I don't know. I, I was just thinking, like a Bingley might never see a Mary as much, as nice as he is, but I think other people really are dialed into the the wallflower who becomes a something else or the whatever. So right, Jessica also alluded to this. This is a book about character coming to grips with having been wrong and changing their mind. I mean, of course, now as much as ever, but I I, I can't imagine there ever has been a time in history when that isn't like a valuable, like important thing for someone to need. 
like, because that is like such a painful experience to undergo. And so, yeah, that makes so much sense with what you're saying to me, Paul. I mean, Lizzie in some ways is like a Mary where also, because she has to undergo a, a change as well. She has to yeah. confront her own prides. It's interesting. I'll make one more super, super nerdy reference. And then I really am going to need a jet. But uh, 1990s literary theorist, Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick um, is like a major uh, queer theorist in the 90s, like sort of foundational um, literary theorist. She talks about, she takes um, a term from another thinker, Paul Ricoeur, the idea of paranoid reading and recuperative reading. Um, and paranoid reading is is basically the Pride and Prejudice reading. It's the Darcy and Elizabeth reading, uh, where you kind of judge people going into most situations, think that there's something inherently uh, off base in the text. And the recuperative reading, this is a very simplified version, um, but recuperative reading is the type that maybe a little more complexly than Jane and Bingley uh, can from like a flawed character and a flawed thing create something new and beautiful um hmm. and and give us kind of a way forward um and the th that sort of not entirely binary thinking that she explicated in the 90s has become sort of foundational for academic writing and literature um moving forward and it was really interesting again similar to what you're saying paul i just feel like jane austen is like anticipating so much of the thought that that will come after her but There's making it so palatable so like that's what i think is so right right because, because literary theorists write for other literary theorists right. but she's a novelist writing for the masses whatever the masses are somebody who can afford a book but like she's saying here's like i, I that's a that's a dance man that's a tightrope dance and it's impressive right to, to be so like popularly beloved um, and with the intellect um, on operating on like so many different levels at the same time, including, I mean, like it's, it's Shakespearean the way that she's able to inhabit all of these different characters with these different points of view, like very, very few authors are able to do that to this degree where, where like the people are so different from each other a lot of the time, uh, but, but we can still get insight and even sympathy. Everyone look at the camera. Or I'm going to take a snippet. Three, two, one. Just looking at my shiny forehead that has a vein popping out and wondering, like, is this how my body looks all the time? And I'm guessing the answer is yes. I have veins on the side of my head. I don't have the, the forehead vein. I'm worried, I'm worried about All the best people... actors have a vein right there. No, but it's always when, like, they're doing something. I am literally just breathing air. Like, You're I am not, like, saving the world. I'm not, like, my mom just died. That vein, except. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, any suggestions on what the theme song should be on this episode or on this season? I went from the uh, Emma Thompson, Sense and Sensibility, the opera songs that were sung during that movie. The score on the 2005 movie is pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. From what I remember. So or you in, could do like All By the... Myself because that's on the Bridget Jones movie. And there's like an <laughs> iconic moment with that. And that could be fun. <laughs> that so in the fun. 1980s version, Lizzie sings um, in the, oh, what's it called? 
in the lonely ash grove and it's really pretty so maybe you should do that song. okay I'll i think it up. Lonely it's like a, a back and forth like every episode one is a song that makes you feel pride and the next one is to feel prejudiced. <laughs> That's too much work and too much thinking. No, I, I would hope that you're not like listening to a bunch of stuff that makes you feel prejudiced. So, There's yeah. like, I don't know, 16 adaptations I've got to watch or something like that. Yeah, Anthony, you got a jet? Yeah, you guys can keep talking. Love you guys. Love you Love listeners. You. Love you. Bye. Pleasure, my man. Mr. Collins uh, wants to marry Jane because she's so hot. But then Mrs. Bennett's like, Guess what? Jane's already kind of spoken for. Bingley's in love with her, and we want her to marry him. And so Mr. Crown's like, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. How about Lizzie? She's pretty hot, too, but she's kind of like a firecracker. And so Mrs. Bennett's like, go for it. And so then there's the, that proposal. That proposal is like, I know that girls mean yes when they say no. And it's just like, it, it goes on for so long, that proposal oh. scene. Can I interrupt for a sec? I have a, a question that I think is segueing off this. Okay, so the cat and mouse as a reduction of 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 the relationship, or how however people talk about like oh at the beginning like you can't just let them all in like you gotta keep things exciting by you gotta play the game play the game whatever whatever the the term we use right isn't that at once like wrong and right. Or because I, I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, the game is so stupid. And we're like, yeah, because it is. And I, I would hope like at some point in like a relationship that's sustainable, you, you got to quit playing some games and be like, you know what? This is who I really am. To uniformly like to just be like, the game is stupid. I don't know how I feel about that because I've just seen it happen so many times that the forbidden fruit, the, the, um, the something of of that like playing out so i think that was one of my internal tensions too <laughs> where i i think i think i didn't want somebody to have to play the game i think i didn't want darcy and uh elizabeth to have to like just not understand each other early on yeah i don't know yeah. what i'm asking yeah i don't know paul it's, there's a question i don't know i hate it that's like i mean like most... do you know what i mean though like the dis like i love to watch the it. dissection of the human of the yeah I love to watch yeah. that drama and I but, hated dude, being in but, that drama. That indecent, that, yeah, it, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> some, some people love that. Some people love it because I'm watching my very not a 12 year old sister-in-law who's like now back in the dating game. And she seems to be really excited by that still. Like, uh. the, like, the guy who has kids who won't text her back. And then 48 hours later, he does. And she's like, oh, yeah, keeping it exciting. Like, what? Don't you just want to be like, this is who we really That's are? Like, nightmare. And yeah. I, I think, who is it? Elizabeth and Charlotte had that conversation, right? Where Charlotte keeps saying, no, like, Jane needs to, like, show more emotion than she feels. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, and I know how she feels. And Elizabeth keeps saying, but she's just doing what comes natural to her. And I think, you know, they're basically vocalizing the tension that you're talking about. I think the game part of it is unbearable, but the truth, like when you're really in a relationship and like getting to know someone, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Like don't overshare getting to know someone. Yeah. Don't overshare, but you have to make yourself vulnerable. 
you have to put something on the line or like you're not going to gain anything yeah the, i really like you do you really like me conversation has got to be the worst thing ever <laughs> Oh, it, it's brutal. And I think that's what it is. Like, I can't unembarrass myself as these people are doing this or even just uh, what Charlotte's talking about, where I think she says that women like disproportionately, like they need to show more affection as compared to the men. And I was just like, and so there too, maybe if Anthony were here, we could unpack because the narrator is not like the their narrator is not really letting us know do we take that at its word and then, oh yeah, that's right. Or do we take it and put pressure on it because, and, and Jane Austen just doesn't let us, like she doesn't give us the satisfaction of be like, and thus we see, it's just like, you got to go figure it out and be smart. I think enough. you're finding Paul that you waited 10 minutes too long to ask these pro profound questions. No, <laughs> the, they, the, the person that has the answers has left the, left the conversation. Well, there, there, there aren't really answers to be had. Right. But I just think it's, <laughs> so interesting to me that the book is written at the time of the American Revolution. Uh, we probably have been out of the dating game for long enough to be really excited about like that we're not like that the dating game is not part of our right now life and yet it seems so applicable and, and I just wonder have we progressed? Have mm -hmm. we regressed? Will we progress? Are we doomed? to always have these gendered space like the women should show this and the you know I, I just I just think it's so my interesting. co-worker um and she's like my my work best friend she's 24 and she's dating and so she'll show me some of the conversations she has on hinge or other <laughs> dating apps and it's it's hell out there. I, I don't know. And yeah. she gets so frustrated. You wash, your, wash your whole body and bleach afterwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, yeah. she'll show me these conversations where they start out really like almost sweet and there's some shared interests and then it goes straight to like a horror show. Yeah. It's disgusting. And like, yeah. you see how demoralizing it is for her to like, and a lot of it is like what you were talking earlier with like game playing and like, why can't people just be real? And like, why do people have to do these weird dances that they made up themselves that they think the other person wants to join in on? And they very obviously don't and no one yeah. <laughs> does. And, you know, just have a single friend and you'll never ever yeah, want to get divorced like, no matter how. Just stay the course. <laughs> this is... oh, things no. can get mm. Yeah, well, it's it's relatable. I mean, that's what it's beloved still. Generations yeah. like I'm starting to watch like the 1940s, and there is it a period. It's a period piece for everyone at all. Like back into to history, would like teach elementary students. They saw me as this, you know, nigh unto death adult. But I would be like, oh, I don't know if it's still like this. And then I would tell a story from me being their age. Like, that's exactly how it is. Of course it is. Like, yeah. like, like the, the words change, like the words change, but it's the exact same dang thing. And now I'm twice the age of my college students and I have to feign ignorance. Like, oh, I don't know if it's still like this. And I can't use words like slay or whatever. Right. As I'm telling my stories, because I, I just feel like I'm out of but then they're like, that is how it is. Yep, yep, yep. I'm like, of course. And that's how it is. So. What time do you got to go, Paul? Um, pretty close to right now, a clock. But 
I I feel bad because uh, you're exactly right where you like I, I begged for the time and everything else but I just got to say it's the coolest to hang out with you guys cyberly I I I know I've said this out loud during the like the movie one I wish I had known everybody better 20 years ago Q hall ago whatever but it's also been just fascinating and beautiful to get to know you guys in this way too so thanks for letting me hang out for a hot second even though i am under read when it comes to jane austen so probably all of my questions were like we've already got reddit forums about that how dare you so (laughs) no we're not we're not experts we're fans and i'm not even that big of a fan i'm just like jumping into i'm becoming a fan i didn't start this because i was a huge fan like I'm not, I, I'm not, I didn't read all of them and I haven't watched all of them. I'm like, I, it's a goal. I'm going to watch all of them and read all of them. And as I do, I'm like becoming a more and more fan. Like I didn't yeah. even like Weezer until I decided to, I wanted to listen to every single Weezer song. And then now I'm like, I like Weezer and me and Sean have a podcast about when Weezer releases new music. See, I think that's really beautiful because potentially then anything that we sit with for long enough, we'd be like, Oh, that that's cool about it. You know, like, it's too easy to hate whatever kind of music or whatever kind of movies or whatever kind of person. And then you sit with it long enough. You're like, never mind. You guys remember it's cool. that I just, um, I New just... York Times modern love column from, I don't know, it's probably like 10 years ago now about the like 36 questions that if you want to fall in love with anyone, you like sit and have a long conversation with them and ask them all these questions. I, I think that's, you know, it's true for people. It's true for stuff. Like you said, if you sit with something, if you investigate something and think about it and, take it into your being enough you're going to yeah a fan on some level like i hate mr collins but i'm still a fan yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly Iconic. and i do have to bounce but it, it's it's always awesome if it's an overshare i can't i, I don't know where we are in the relationship for the overshare <laughs> undershare point but like I, I, I really do look forward to these things and it is 21st centurily interesting to me that some of my uh, most meaningful interactions happen cyberly on the month talking about like the the book the movie the whatever is the mediational thing but really it's like oh my gosh look at people check out how weird it is to be a person so uh it's been fabulous (laughs) all right well i love you guys i'll talk to you later yeah you're the best paul love you yeah bye Yeah, who Mr. Collins uh, finally gives up on Lizzie, and he's like, Charlotte's pretty nice. Actually, Charlotte had her designs on him. It's pretty sneaky what Charlotte was doing. Like the day that she, like he was dumped or he was rejected, like he she goes over there and kind of like talks to him and invites him over to the house and things like that. It's great. Charlotte's great, and I love Charlotte. Charlotte. I think she's so practical. she's everyone's best friend. We would all be so lucky to have Charlotte as our best. Mr. Wickham is like BFFs with um, Lizzie. And then that kind of changes when what Mrs. Long? No, Mrs. There's some, there's someone in the village who's like in, going to inherit a bunch of money, like 5,000 pounds or something like that. And all of a sudden, Mary Mr. King, King Miss King. That's yeah. right. And Lydia just hates Miss King so much. <laughs> Miss King's going to inherit a bunch of money. And so uh, Wickham kind of like 
disengages from Lizzie and starts to pursue Miss King. And Lizzie's kind of okay with that because she wasn't that invested with Mr. Wickham. What do you guys think about the villains between Sense and Sensibility, Willoughby, and Wickham in this novel? I mean, I think they have a lot in common. No, not Right? They're both charming scoundrels, basically. Except I think, what's his name? Willoughby is a little bit more earnest and like a tiny bit yeah. more sincere, but also more desperate than Mr. Wickham. Wickham's just out to create chaos in people's lives. Yeah, they're both in debt. They're both after money, except for Wickham actually marries Lydia, which is a surprising turn, but I guess because he gets paid off. And Willoughby marries this rich person, but is still in love with uh, Ellen. No, Marianne. Marianne. I don't know. Which one do you like better? Which one do you hate worse? Willoughby is sincere and earnest and I think did have real feelings for Marianne. So is it a greater evil that he betrayed that for money versus Wickham who just had fun and did what he wanted when he wanted with no real repercussions? He was never in love with Lydia. Like to... um, He was never going to marry her. Gossip with her. I will say though, I think I think I prefer Wickham as like a villain because even though you know he like kind of gets away with it and he gets paid off, he gets the ultimate punishment, which is that he has to live with Lydia for the rest of his life. <laughs> and that's just incredible. I think there's a lot of like poetic justice that they have to spend their lives together. There you go. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, so yeah, Lydia's turned into like a little mini mrs bennett uh-huh mm-hmm. oh for sure. you know and you know she's gonna start having flutterings in her side and <laughs> spasms in her stomach soon especially once her prettiness is worn off or mr wickham yep so. yeah they spent through their money pretty fast the collinses go back to wherever lady catherine de berg lives what's that called lady catherine de berg rosings rosings Park. The gardeners come visiting, right? Um, and then they have this like ideas like let's go to the lakes and to do a tour of leisure through the lakes district. And that sounds so fun. I just want to do that. I want to go on a carriage with Mr. and Mrs. Gardner. So the gardeners come up and drop their kids off at the house so Jane can babysit them because you know that Mrs. Bennett's not gonna babysit them. That's something to look forward to. No. That doesn't happen first. What happens first is, um, so yeah, they they have the plan to go visit in the future. But then, like, in the, the next season, Lizzie goes and visits Rosings with um, Charlotte's dad, William Lucas, right? Sir Lucas. And then Moira is the little sister. Moira's just in awe of everything, and she's just, like, a fun little sister to hang out with. I was just going to say, I love when they're finally leaving Rosings. I'm jumping ahead, but... Yeah. She's just like giving a recitation of all the things they've done and all the times they dined at Rosings and all uh-huh. the times they went there for tea. And it's just like the best thing that's ever happened to her. And <laughs> it's so simple. It's so pure. She's going to remember that trip for the rest of her life. And I'm for so sure. glad that Moira got to experience that. One of my favorite characters happens to be a visitor at Rosings, which is Darcy's cousin, who is um, Fitzwilliam, Colonel Fitzwilliam. He's not as handsome and he's a little bit more gruff, but he's very friendly 
and he's just the best. He he should have ended up with Charlotte in yeah. a different universe. They would have been oh, lovely man. together. There's a lot of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and she's overbearing, and so many different personalities and all these characters. They they all come, and then her her daughter is is so sickly and pale and meek. I feel everyone feels sorry for her since she just lives in the shadow of this great lady. I, I just love the personalities of Mr. Colin and Lady Catherine, how they're just perfect personalities for each other. You know, one loves to be admired and the other loves to admire. And they just fit like two jigsaw pieces. They really do. And I feel like Mr. Collins is, he's like a mini Lady Catherine where in his own sphere, he gives as much unwanted advice like on things that he has no idea about as she does. And yeah. may- maybe he was like that before they met. Maybe he learned it from her. I don't know. But she- it's like she's created this little monster. Yeah, the book tells a little backstory about Mr. Collins, how he went to school and then he like taught himself to be pompous. <laughs> he wasn't always like that, which, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And then Lady Catherine didn't help you. Uh, Lady Catherine, I'm sure, made it worse. So Darcy's in love with Lizzie and there's proposal number one in the house, which is so great. I love proposal. He was so sure that she was just going to accept him, even though like there was no like she's never been nice to him like or Mm -hmm. been cordial. And she just she's so angry by the end of it. And I love it. Like you feel the righteous anger just rolling off of her, even though like some of her anger is based in her like misunderstanding of the situation. But Man, she's so mad, and I love that. I just did love we, the lady being angry. Did we skip the time where they danced together? When did that oh, happen? That was a long time ago. That was at the ball at Netherfield, which we didn't even really talk about. Well, we talked about the first ball, and then they did have a right. ball at Netherfield where they had white soup. Or was that at the first ball? Yeah, the white soup. Did you guys look up what white soup was? No. <laughs> oh, hang on. It's in my footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's this thing that they oh here it is white soup made from meat stock egg yolks ground almonds and cream and served strengthened with negus which is hot sweetened wine and water as a warming and intoxicating refreshment at balls wow it's like salty sweet wine kind of boozy all right let's do it let's let's have a ball in florida (laughs) let's make it we're gonna play some um some cards on a card table i'm gonna learn like a regency game Whist. We're going to learn how to play whist. Well, at the beginning of the book, they talked about commerce and Vantan. Oh, yeah, Vantan. Mm-hmm. Is that 21? And the so lottery at the, ticket. The ball at Netherfield we kind of skipped. Um, Darcy asked Miss Bennett, or not Miss Bennett, Lizzie, to dance. And they don't talk at all. And she finally like brings up the weather and brings up like these books and things like that to talk about. And it's just, it's a fun, awkward dance scene. That was when like like Lucas comes over, Mr. Lucas, Charlotte's dad comes over and it's like, I'm about to go congratulate your friend on his upcoming marriage or whatever like that. That, And then they sit around for dinner and that's when Mary plays the piano Mm -hmm. and sings. And then finally he's like, you've done enough parading in front of, or, or whatever, some, something embarrassing to Mary. Poor Mary. And then, yeah, Miss Bennett is talking loudly to anyone who will listen about how she expects Jane to receive a proposal any moment. Yep. Uh, Lizzie rejects Mr. Darcy at Mr. Collins' house 
And then he goes away and writes a long letter. And then uh, they're about, she's about to leave, but he finds she gets the letter, reads it a couple times and a bunch of times. And she has like a, um, she sees the truth in what he's saying, I guess. And then comes to see the truth in herself and her family. And like, oh yeah, what Darcy was saying is kind of true, but he was still a jerk about it. And Darcy's like, what I did was kind of true, but I was still kind of a jerk about it. So they kind of both realize the same thing <laughs> and then go about their ways of like changing, which is a great time. And then they go home. Lydia and Kitty are meet them halfway. And like, I've prepared this meal for you of cold meats, but we don't have any money since we bought everything. <laughs> we bought new bonnets at the store. You have to pay That's for the my favorite parts. Yeah, like that. And then they even tell the rest of the family later, they're like, you'll never guess how awesome it was. We met them at the inn. We prepared a dinner for them. It was the best, but they and had then to it. We all had to like, like jam together into the carriage and it was cramped and hot. And we had to sit with our bonnet packages. <laughs> they were like telling it like it was the best thing ever. Like they're the best. Doesn't sisters. she even say like, I'm glad I got that stupid bonnet. Uh-huh. She's like, I don't even like this bonnet. I'm going to tear it apart and change everything, but I'm so glad I bought it so we can be on our lap. Yeah, sorry. I think I'm lagging, but she she's like, I'm so glad I bought that bonnet so that we could have one more box with us in the coach. Uh -huh. She's just she's living in another world. She is. She's so hilarious sometimes. And they go back home, Lizzie, or and then uh, Lydia gets the invite to go with um, Colonel Foster's new young bride. They just got married like within the year and then they're best friends, which is kind of weird because she's like, I don't know, 25 and and Lydia's 15 and they're so close. And it's funny that um, Kitty's like, I should have been invited, even though I'm not very good friends with Mrs. Foster or Forrester or whatever. The I should have been invited anyways. <laughs> she's two years older after all. And then uh, so she's gone and then the gardeners come. And then they go on the tour of the lakes. Is that does that sound right? Yes. Instead of going to the lakes, they take a detour to go around the neighborhood or the part of the country where the I aunt, really... Mrs. Gardner, was raised or spent some since some years of her life. Know some people. So they stop at this inn and they're like, let's go tour Pemberley. Lizzie's freaking out. It's like, I hope he's not home. And it turns out he's not home. So they go take a tour of the house. What do you think about Pemberley, guys? Is that this where you great. started to fall in love with Mr. Darcy? Because that's where I yeah, started to fall sure. in love with Mr. Darcy. <laughs> no, it's definitely where you get a little bit more respect for him because like, it's clear that he's managing this estate well, which is not a small task. I'm sure it takes a lot of work and actual attention. And the fact that his, even though he has servants, <laughs> the fact that his servants feel that they're well-treated and they respect him and like him. Yes, that is when she starts feeling falling in love with him but that does speak well of him and who was the servant mrs um guard no shoot i forgot <laughs> oh guys chad are you okay guys uh, all of a sudden said like the internet was not connected and then it oh, came no. and then it came back so it's still recording to the screen or to the local machine we okay. had a couple of minutes where we talked a lot of crap about you but that that part was oh that's important. fine as long as i don't hear anything spoken about me it's the just hearing kidding. of the part is the, uh, is the mortifications i don't know it's not in my summary 
Uh, she's great. Everyone's great. We don't we don't really meet anybody, and then all of a sudden, we meet Colin Firth jumping into a pond, coming out <laughs> with a wet shirt. Now we meet Mister Darcy, and it's great. He's he's nice to everyone, and he just sees Lizzie, and it's like it's the girl of my dreams. Let me be nice as possible, and he is as nice as possible, and he's nice to Mister Gardner, and then she goes back to her lodgings, gets a letter from. Her family saying Lydia is gone and has run away with Wickham. I just think, like, even though you do get the fuller picture of him from, like, his house and his servants, you also see when he comes back to the house and you see the way that he, like, acts towards Elizabeth and the way that he treats the gardeners, you see that he's, yeah, he's started having that change. You know, he's not standoffish with these strange people who have invaded his house. He's super kind. He like offers them his hospitality. He invites Mr. Gardner to go fishing or whatever. I can't remember if that's in the movie or if that's it actually is. in the book. Well, is it um, in the movie? It's in the book for sure. Okay, good. I honestly, I mean, I think her feelings have softened to him before that moment, but I think it's really when she starts to see the change in his demeanor that her feelings probably really change because it's not just that he's rich and has a nice house and takes good care of it. It's that he's adjusted, you know, he's. And she's rereading that proposal letter <laughs> and just seeing things and changing. She's like looking at him through a different lens and it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to forget all these like kind of mean and rude things that he said and just like focus on him. It was like a new beginning at the. Uh... Had to be so strangely surreal for her to visit there after having turned him down and see what could have been. And like, even though I'm sure she was so sure of like the finery of Pemberley before, you know, knowing that he was what worth 10,000 pounds a year or whatever, or even more than that, you know, to see in person must have been a very strange experience for her and probably very bittersweet, like knowing or at least feeling at the time that she had done the right thing. Yep. But then seeing how, you know, her opinion of him was slowly changing. Yeah. Anyway. Up until this point. Yes, that is so true. Up until this point, the book is just like cruising by. It's like segments, mm -hmm. goes into segment and they kind of bleed into each other. And it's like set piece, set piece, set piece. And it's like, great, great, great. And then it gets into this letter. And then it's just like letters back and forth. The dad goes to town. The uncle goes to town. Letters back and wait, wait, wait. What's going to happen? Are they in Scotland? No, they weren't in London. Where are they at in London? I don't know. Are they going to get married? Are are they going to duel? And is he going to die or what? whatever? You know, like Jane this whole time is in London with the other aunt. Char not Charlotte. Uh, Caroline knows that Jane's in London and Darcy knows that Jane's in London. And so everyone goes back to the house and it's a happy, it's a bittersweet reunion because Lydia is is gone or whatever i mean that's probably what a great deal of life was like for women especially just having to read what was happening you know it's akin to war like if they were lucky to get letters home hearing bits and pieces but not really getting a true reflection of what the action was really like in real life yeah I don't know. So it might be a little bit of a slog and it might be like little bits of excitement here and there. But overall, you're sitting there not being able to do anything but react and how hard that must be. Turns out that everyone thinks that the uncle, Mr. Gardner, finds them and convinces Wickham to get married. 
paid him off, paid off his debts and everything like that. So everyone's like, oh crap, how much do we owe our uncle? And Mr. Bennett's like, how much do I owe my brother-in-law? Uh, Lydia comes back and says, oh, isn't Wickham the best? And then she's telling a story of how their wedding happened and how Mr. Darcy was there. And like, what? Mr. Darcy was there? And she's like, I promise not to tell. And so they're like, if you promise not to tell, don't say anything else. But Lizzie's like head is spinning. It's very fun. And then she's like, I'm writing to my aunt. So she writes to the aunt and the aunt tells all the boys are back in town, right? Uh, Darcy and Bingley come back to Netherfield and they come visiting all the time. They're having dinner and everyone's looking at Darcy like, who's that Mr. Darcy? Why is odious man? Why is he always coming and, and spoiling the party? And they're like, Lizzie, you go walk with Mr. Darcy so you can take care of him. And she's like, ha ha. That's exactly what I wanted, but also my family was being extremely rude. And then guess who comes and visits? Lady Catherine de Bourgh. And it's the best. This is such a fun part. This like quippy conversation. Lizzie at the first of the book would have been, no, I'm not engaged to your nephew. I hate your nephew. And Lizzie at the end of the book is like, why would you ask me that if you already knew the answer? Well, I'm not telling you. And it's it's just the best. <laughs> Bingley and, and um, Jane are engaged and everything's so happy. And then Darcy returns to Netherfield. Oh, I, I don't know what happens first or second. Anyways, Darcy finds out that Lady Catherine de Bourgh came and tried to uh, get a negative from Lizzie. And she didn't get a satisfor- satisfactory response from Lizzie. And that gave him hope. So he comes up and he's being all stoic and doesn't talk to her and she doesn't talk to him and they're being so awkward. I'm like, you guys love each other. Just talk to each other. It's one of those like movie misconceptions. Like everything would just be worked out if you just had a conversation and they never do. Anyways, they're out walking and uh, Jane and Bingley are out being cuddly and uh, Kitty is walking with making a, an awkward threes a crowd. And so Kitty's like, this crowd sucks. I'm going to go hang out with the Lucas family. And they're finally left alone. And he's like, how do you feel about me now? And she's like, I feel completely different about you now. And they're like, let's get married. I was listening to this in the audiobook, and I go pick up my kid uh, from one of his activities. And uh, we're driving back. And this is the proposals happening right now. And everything's so happy. And we look down and there's like an hour of the book left. He's like, why is there so much of the story left? Isn't this the end? I'm like, it's great. It's just wrapping up for an hour. I love that end of the book. Wrapping up for an hour was so fun. Like the last couple of chapters are just like epilogues of how much they lived happily ever after, except for Wickham and Lydia didn't live happy ever after. Kitty was away from Lydia, stayed with at Pemberley a bunch. And so she changed. She started taking on some better attributes and more reasonableness. I don't think we ever learned about what happened to Mary, but hopefully some good yeah, happens. Yeah, kind of forgets that Mary ever existed. <laughs> Mary calmed down a little bit because she was not around her pretty sisters anymore. And so I don't think she was so zealous, but they didn't say if she got married or not. And I hope that she did. She probably did eventually. She was probably a lot more normal if she, when she didn't feel like she had to be the foil to Lydia. Oh, when Mrs. Gardner's writing a letter to Lizzie, she ends this the letter with, and the and the kids have been wanting me this last half an hour, so I've got to go. 
Is that like the 1790s equivalent of like sitting on your phone while the house burns down around you? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's that's the book. It was a fun reading it. It was fun reading it and fun listening to it afterwards. So I read it twice in the last three months or so. What's your favorite part of it, Chad? I love Mr. Collins. But I mean, I like when things are happy. Right before things, right before Lydia, maybe like the late, the tour. I love them going on a tour, getting to Pemberley, going around places. That's just the coziest part, I guess. It is. It's so fun. It's like after all this tension, Elizabeth finally gets a little bit of fun for herself. Yeah, it's fun how much she was anticipating the fun too. She's like, oh, it's something to look forward to next season. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I love having things to look forward to. <laughs> Final thoughts, wrapping up the novel. How do you wrap up? Any other notes that you took that you wanted to to for the audience to listen to? Because my, my note was Mrs. Gardner writing a letter to Lizzie included the part that her kids have been wanting her the, this last half an hour. It is so great. Or maybe, I don't know, it's just regular conversation everyone says. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're looking for it, it's fun to edit it. Also, hopefully that loss of internet still is good for the recording. <laughs> it says it's still recording. I know it but is. Yeah, hopefully the other one like rendered and saved here. It's not recording to the cloud, it's recording to my local machine, so it should be okay. Maybe we'll have to re-record it and then... Just replicate all these conversations as best we can. Word for word. Um, the only Never other thing that I had noted to talk about that we didn't really cover is, and since you talked about the trip being your favorite, like, coziest part, I really love all the, like, heart-to-heart conversations that Jane and Elizabeth have and just the peaks that you get into their relationship. It's so, even though they're so different and Jane is so sincere and so straightforward and Elizabeth is so, you know, for the age, I guess, kind of quirky and sarcastic almost. They There's so much warmth between them and it really comes through in those conversations. And I love that peek into what sisterhood might be like. I don't have any sisters, so I have no idea what it's actually I don't like. either. Carrie, enlighten us. <laughs> but yeah, how is exactly it? Like that. Charming. It's just so... I mean, my sister's six years older than I am, but even with that age difference, I feel like we've always been really close. Um, and yeah, there's definitely things you can say and do with your sister that you can't replicate anywhere else. So I feel like in a lot of ways, it's very true it's to cool. life. There's, there's five sisters going on in this episode or this book. Uh, you my get brother the full has spectrum of female friendship. My brother has mm-hmm. six kids, and five of them are girls. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Catherine, one of them is Elizabeth. And we're going to talk with Catherine and Elizabeth on the next episode. We're going to watch 1940 Pride and Prejudice, which and... is the most charming version, I think. I haven't seen that version. It's so I think I've seen all the other it. ones. You should watch it. Here's the thing. I'm going to give you like a few (laughs) of my thoughts about it. (laughs) It's very delightful. It is not close to the book at all. Everyone in the cast is way older than their character. Like Greer Garson is almost 40 when they're filming this. And Laurence Olivier is probably almost 50. But they're all so great. And she has this like winking sly manner that is really... I find really delightful. 
And Lady Catherine in the end ends up being kind of like in on it and like rooting for Elizabeth and Darcy. Oh, fun. And like interesting. Mr. Collins has all these brothers. And so like Mary gets to marry one of the brothers. There's just everybody gets a happy ending. The whole thing. You're about to watch it. You're going to see it. Also, the costumes are wild because it's set in, I think I told you guys this via text, it's set in fashion's most insane era when like the skirts were a weird shape, they're super short, the sleeves are gigantic, the hair is wild, and it's it's probably like 20 to 30 years too late for when the book was actually written, but it's just, I don't know why they chose to do that. It's fun to look at. Yeah. It's a little silly. I don't know. It's a good version. Well, thanks for hanging into the end. We We did it. We made it all the way. We stayed awake. <laughs> We're not doing any quizzes this time. We'll do a quiz the next time. No um, quizzes. No, it's in the different room. Guys, this is a frantic oh. time. I got to go. I got to go on a go. cruise. I got to talk to my parents. <laughs> You're okay. Wait, can I dibs the Atlanta version? Yeah, that's that's okay. not been claimed. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. See you guys. Love you. Thanks, everyone. Have you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.